All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. Okay, you guys, introducing David T. Pine, former U.S. Army Headquarters Staff Officer. And here he is writing at Substack, D. Pine, that's P-Y-N-E, dpine.substack.com. And he also writes regularly over at the National Interest, the National Interest, uh, oh, sorry, nationalinterest.org. Uh, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, happy to have you here. Very interesting piece you have here. Response to Ukrainian government decision to include me, that's you, <laughs> on a list of 28 high-profile Americans accused of promoting Russian propaganda narratives. So, obviously, first of all, I'm jealous. They must not be paying attention to me just because I'm busy writing a book about it instead of posting every day. That must be it. And then, uh, secondly... Uh, also, I'm curious, uh, former U.S. Army HQ staff officer, uh, what rank is that um, so, uh, before we so start here on your inclusion in this weird list? So I only served in the Army for three years. I then served um, as, as a staff officer, officer as a civilian on Army headquarters staff. And I was oh, in I charge see. of all uh, international R&D agreements with uh, the former Soviet Union, the Middle East, and a, a whole bunch of other countries. Yeah, hey, fair enough. Um, you know, it's important people know who we're talking about here, to, yeah. who we're talking to. Um, and then, so you wrote for the National Interest, which is hardly a radical organization. Um, they're much more, you know, in the tradition of sort of an Exxonian Kissingerian, uh, real politic as opposed, sort of, kind of opposed to neoconservatism and, uh, liberal interventionism, although there's a bit of that there too. Um, but, uh, there's a home for realists there as well at the national interest. And so, uh, I guess you have a pretty good idea what it was that you wrote that got you in trouble with the Ukrainian government here, huh? I do. Yeah, absolutely. So um, back in, I think it was either late March or early April, I published my first um, peace proposal or, uh, plan for uh, the end of the uh, Russo-Ukrainian war. And um, that's when they, apparently that's when they they accused me of being a Russian agent. I later later learned, um, I saw a, a post um, on April 5th. It was a, an article which uh, misspelled my name, but accused me of having been in the pay of the Kremlin for years. So that was news to me. I never had any contact with the Russian government. Jesus, it seems but, like you uh, might've had a conversation uh, with the FBI about that too, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, just for your listeners, um, so that the plan that I come with came up with, which has since been modified, I, I in a article I published on the national interest, um, on the 18th of June, um, it was kind of a 15 point plan, but the gist of it, um, was that, uh, you know, Ukraine um, would, uh, you know, all the, all the Russian troops would be withdrawn from Ukraine other than uh, the por portion of the Donbass region they already occupy, and of course Crimea, which is 
part of Russia. It's never, never going to change. Um, and then um, I did. I, I should also mention that um, it was um, the day two of the Russian invasion that the, the Russians first began um, providing their peace terms. Um, so the Russians have actually been the most motivated, curiously, the most motivated uh, for peace um, since the beginning of the invasion, which indicates that, you know, the neoconservatives are always talking about how, uh, you know, Russia has this plan to invade and take control and annex uh, all of Ukraine, and then they're going to keep going. It's going to be like, you know, Stalin in, the, uh, in Soviet days during World War II when uh, he annexed parts of nine uh, countries and got away with it and then um, turned a bunch of other ones uh, into satellite states in Central and Eastern Europe. And they're all, the only changes they've made in that their, their peace offer, uh, which is, you know, they would accept today, in my estimation, is that um, they uh, are, are willing to agree to Ukraine, Ukraine's accept, um, entry into the European Union. And they're also, um, they've given up their call for regime change, which they previously referred to as uh, denazification. But other than that, they're looking for um, a modest um, reduction in the size of the Ukrainian armed forces, uh, the elimination of all um, potential nuclear nuclear capable systems, uh, including ballistic missiles, cruise missiles, anti-ship missiles, and then a, as well the, their strategic SAMs, which can be used in an ABM role, and um, you know independence for the Donbas, which I've I've uh, suggested we could do in a, a popular referendum, and then. Um, and then, uh, of course, Crimea and armed neutrality. That probably the most important uh, requirement of all is that uh, Ukraine would be neutral. It would be banned from any NATO ties whatsoever. It couldn't be a member of the Partnership of Peace. Couldn't have any uh, arms shipments, um, additional, you know, additional arms shipments from from NATO. And uh, you know, they would essentially return to its status as a buffer state before the CIA-funded coup. Um, in the Euro Maidan revolution of 2014. Okay. Now, I mean, obviously I already agree with everything that you're saying there, but your opponents are going to say, Oh, come on. You're just giving away the whole store to the Russians. All they get to do, all they have to do is start a war and you'll uh, give in to all their demands. And that's appeasement and yep. Hitler, 1938, et cetera, like that. So what about that? Well, you know, there's so many arguments against that. Um, I would argue that it wasn't appeasement that, that started, sparked World War II, but it was the abandonment of the policy of appeasement. I mean, I think any logical or rational person that's non-biased, which, which there are very few, uh, such as you and myself, um, would recognize that because, um, you know, Hitler, of course, wanted uh, only the, uh, you know, Danzig and um, uh, the um, Polish Corridor. And that was pretty much the end of his, you know, that's all he wanted in terms of uh, Poland. Uh, he wanted Poland as an ally against the Soviets and whatnot. But in any case, uh, if, if those demands had been met, uh, there would have been no war with the West. It would, he would have just driven east uh, with the Soviet Union. Um, and curiously, I find it extremely entertaining that uh, uh, Zelensky is, uh, is being compared to Churchill because Churchill, of course, gave away the store to the Soviets, you know. He gave away, uh, you know, the freedom of half of Europe, including Ukraine, to, to the Soviets, uh, which had committed genocide. But the Russians, of course, are not committing genocide today. Uh, according to the UN, they've killed about 5,000 civilians 
And according to an article I read on, on antiwar.com uh, just earlier today, um, a lot of that is because uh, the Russians have uh, stationed their troops uh, in uh, created bases within schools and hospitals. So it's not like uh, there's been any deliberate or systematic war crimes committed by Russia. The but, Ukrainians, uh, yeah, I mean. Yes, sorry. The yeah. Ukrainians have stationed their troops in schools and hospitals in Ukraine in order to maximize civilian casualties and uh, support their claims of genocide uh, in an effort to try to to uh, drag the U.S. and NATO into a, a third world war with Russia. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's just it amazes me because the, uh, you know, the U.S. national security interest is completely oppositional to uh, that of, uh, of the Zelensky regime in that, you know, what I just said, they're, they're trying to get us into a, a potentially nuclear war with the Russian Federation. And we're seeing that um, now the neocons are trying to do a repeat of that in, uh, in Taiwan with the current uh, blockade crisis. But you're absolutely right. Anyone, any dissenting voices who dare challenge the neoconservative uh, propaganda line, uh, which is so popular in Congress, that uh, we should avoid war with Russia or China, and that we, sh we should not be, be providing military aid to, to Ukraine, and that we should um, instead throw our substantial uh, diplomatic uh, heft in, in support of uh, mediating a peace agreement with Russia, which uh, we provide, uh, Ukraine only provides minor concessions, is immediately branded as an appeaser, you know, a Kremlin agent. Um, you know, and I, and I, I'm in good company. You know, uh, Senator Rand Paul, obviously, uh, is uh, one of our best foreign policy realists. And, uh, you know, kind of anti-war senators in the Senate, of course. And he was put on their list merely for referring uh, to Ukraine as a former um, part of the Soviet Union. Um, Edward Lufvak was put on the list for the same reason that I did, uh, proposing a, um, a popular referendum in the Donbass to, to vote on independence. Uh, but essentially anyone who, um, who uh, opposes anything other, you know, who doesn't support um, a solution based on total Russian military withdrawal from Crimea and the Donbass is is branded a Kremlin agent. Yeah, uh, well, and it's amazing here the the overreach where they're they're naming yeah. one of the most famous U.S. senators, uh, former presidential candidate and representative, and active duty National Guard officer Tulsi Gabbard, uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor, one of the most famous retired military uh, officers and critics. Uh, John Mearsheimer from the University of Chicago, widely considered the dean of the Realist Foreign Policy School, or right there with his partner, Stephen Waltz, anyway, uh, from Harvard. Um, oh, yeah, no, you guys are all just a bunch of Alger Hiss guys, I guess, and yeah. <laughs> this is all a big, you know, um, the Venona files are going to prove you guilty yet. I guess we'll just have to wait. Um but so now what is it exactly that uh, it matters that they're putting you on this list? What exactly are they claiming about you? Is this really a setup for them to invoke the Assange precedent that any American violates any foreign country's law, no matter where in the world, including here in America, and we're subject to it and you guys are under arrest. Is that it? You know, there have been signs, um, you know, this uh, Ukrainian Center for Countering Disinformation is part of the Russian Defense um, and National Security Ministry. 
And uh, there are signs that it's been um, at least partially funded by the U.S. State Department or other uh, other U.S. agencies. And so um, there has been a theory presented, a conspiracy theory, which very well may, may be true, that uh, the Biden administration, um, you know, provided some support or signed off on uh, this this Ukrainian blacklist uh, or hit list. Um, so what they've accused me of doing again is um, supporting peace between Russia and Ukraine um, on the basis of uh, minor territorial concessions to Russia. And if you read my proposal, it, it doesn't exactly say that. It says that there will be a popular referendum. And if if the they vote again, if the Donbass region votes against independence, then Ukraine gets to uh, expel all Russian troops from its territory. Um, and I don't consider Crimea to be part of Ukraine today. It's just it's just a, fa- a factor in reality. Um, so they would essentially win the war without a single uh, loss of uh, one additional Ukrainian soldier. And, you know, for them, that's it's heresy because it's not 100 percent of what they're wanting. And when they're fighting a a nuclear superpower with up to 8000, you know, anywhere from 6000, 8000 nuclear weapons, the idea that that they could defeat Russia without uh, any other country being willing to send their troops to fight alongside them is quite frankly absurd. I know. I mean, this whole thing is just such a tragedy. You go back to right before the war started. All they were demanding was the implementation of the peace deal that our German and French partners signed with them back in 2015, essentially. And, of course, a promise of no NATO expansion and missiles and a few other things that, you know, if you take the Russian listed demands from December, you might say, you know, oh, you don't think you're just going to give them the whole store or whatever. But you have to admit unless you're just hell bent on, you know, your agenda of getting into a conflict. You have to admit that that's a reasonable basis to start a discussion anyway. And the Americans, as uh, my buddy Daryl Cooper says, they treat the Russians like they're just ISIS. Yeah, we don't (laughs) negotiate with terrorists. You know, Putin is just Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, and we don't have to pay them any mind whatsoever, disregard any of their views. And then here we are, you know, they've already taken Kherson, which means that they're only, what, like 150 miles from Moldova at this point? And obviously taking Odessa would be a hell of a horrible slaughter, and God knows what would happen, I guess, if they do. But they could. They're not far, and at the rate they're going, they're going to end up taking the whole southern coast, and then who knows what happens after that. But meanwhile, they could have negotiated the Donbass even after the war started. They could have right. negotiated the Donbass and left it at that. Now they've lost, lost Kurson. What else are they going to lose, you know? The yeah. thing is just worse and worse for them. But like, oh, yeah, no, don't sell out. Be brave. Fight till the end. I, I see these uh, all the um, Ukrainian flags on Twitter saying we've just got to give them more weapons. We just got to send in advisors and to help them fire all these new weapons we're giving them to defeat the Russians and drive them out in a total humiliating defeat. It's like, is that what they really think is going on here? That we're going to escalate this thing that the Russians are about to lose any day now and have to turn tail and run? If only we would step it up a little bit? Because I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think Zelensky is enjoying his international celebrity status. He's, he's doing his Vogue shoots. 
uh, photo shoots. Uh, he's a new fashion model, apparently. So, um, you know, he doesn't really have a lot as long as the U.S. Prov- continues to provide this blank check of, of military support, which to date has included at least 27 billion in direct military support, which uh, I think has been noted on your website, antiwar.com, that uh, we gave uh, South Vietnam, I think, 27 billion. Um, so, or not, sorry, not 27 billion. I think it was more like 23 billion. So, um, you know, we've arguably given Ukraine more military aid than we gave um, to uh, uh, Vietnam, South Vietnam, at least in, in dollar terms. And, uh, you know, the irony is the very people that claim to support Ukraine are the ones that really are re- responsible for the additional destruction of, of their uh, Ukrainian cities, exactly. uh, the deaths, tens of thousands of additional Ukrainians. And by the way, um, President Putin has essentially announced his plan to begin his uh, annexing um, parts or all of four Ukrainian um, oblasts within uh, uh, the month of September. So the clock is is running out for Ukraine to, um, ex, you know, agree to a, a compromise uh, peace deal, which um, there's a new article today that uh, I think uh, former Chancellor, German Chancellor Schroeder said that he spoke with Putin and Putin is still very interested in in a peaceful solution uh, that would be a compromise agreement. Uh, but if not, uh, Russia is ready to proceed with uh, popular referendums in all of uh, their occupied territories in which the entire, you know, the entire uh, coastline uh, of Ukraine that they've annexed us, or they've occupied thus far would be annexed to Russia outright. Yeah. And, you know, who knows? You can't really rely on referendums in such a situation. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Right. It's just a step in getting that done. And again, it just didn't have to be this way at all. They could have called this thing off. It's so funny that, you know, I know I'm a ideologically anti-interventionist kind of a guy no matter what. But still, just putting on my, you know, regular guy next door neighbor type hat and looking at it. It seems like, wouldn't it be right that it's the expectation of everyone that as soon as this kind of violence breaks out right on Russia's border and we and our allies are involved, even tangentially, that we would then be doing everything we can to bring the fighting to an end immediately before it escalates out of control, that that would be the top priority of everyone to be to call time out as fast as possible. Right. Is that the wingnut position or here? I mean, here we're, we're five and a half months into this thing, and it's the perfectly normal consensus that, yeah, if anything, we need to do more. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really sad. Um, I mean, certainly that's the rational position is, you know, our only to realize that our only vital national security interest in Ukraine is to avoid a nuclear war or a third world war with Russia. Um, that's, you know, certainly the position that Reagan would ta- would have taken. You know, so many people invoke Reagan as supporting this kind of neoconservative nonsense. And based on, you know, there's no evidence that Reagan would have supported any of it. I mean, when, uh, you know, the bombing of, um, at the Brink barracks in, in Beirut occurred in 1982, uh, you know, he would uh, kill 241 troops. He didn't uh, send more troops. He pulled them all out. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, that's kind of a myth. But um, in terms of, uh, you know, Putin being this, this mad dictator, uh, there's all these articles. Hey, wait, hold up, hold up that, that last point, because I got something for you here on that. Okay. Which is uh, Bush Sr. from August the 1st, 1991. Freedom is not the same as independence. 
Americans will not support those who seek independence in order to replace a far-off tyranny with a local despotism. They will not aid those who promote a suicidal nationalism based upon ethnic hatred. That's uh, Bush Sr. from the famous Chicken Kiev speech yep. warning the Ukrainians that whatever Moscow's point of view is, is his point of view on their independence. He's actually trying to save the Soviet Union at that point, which is a huge, ridiculous embarrassment. But at the same time, <laughs> you think about what he's saying there. I don't want to hear a bunch of right-wing ethnic nationalists going to war against Russians in the East and asking America for support. And here he's the former CIA director, so he knows all about America's stay-behind type programs in Ukraine, obviously. He knows exactly what he's talking about. And by the way, Condoleezza Rice wrote that speech. Hang on just one second. Hey, y'all, the audiobook of my book, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism, is finally done. Yes, of course, read by me. It's available at Audible, Amazon, Apple Books, and soon on Google Play and whatever other options there are out there. It's my history of America's war on terrorism from 1979 through today. Give it a listen and see if you agree. It's time to just come home. Enough already. Time to end the war on terrorism. The audiobook. Hey guys, I've had a lot of great webmasters over the years, but the team at expanddesigns.com have by far been the most competent and reliable. Harley Abbott and his team have made great sites for the show and the Institute, and they keep them running well, suggesting and making improvements all along. Make a deal with expanddesigns.com for your new business or news site. They will take care of you. Use the promo code SCOTT and save $500. That's expanddesigns.com. Man, I wish I was in school so I could drop out and sign up for Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom instead. Tom has done such a great job on putting together a classical curriculum for everyone from junior high schoolers on up through the postgraduate level, and it's all very reasonably priced. Just make sure you click through from the link in the right margin at scotthorton.org. Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. Real history, real economics, real education. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Z Zelensky is the de the despot he's referring to. You know, Zelensky, of course, uh, you know, is not only calling me and, and all the, the other uh, much more well-known uh, patriots, elected leaders uh, that are America first, not calling just calling them information uh, terrorists and war criminals, you know, subject to war crimes tribunals, um, you know, but they're also... Um, uh, just, uh, they're killing their, their, um, political opponents. You know, he's, he's assassinated hundreds or dozens, if not hundreds of political opponents, anyone, any Ukrainian who's talked in favor of peace with Russia, some kind of compromise, um, he's, uh, had assassinated or imprisoned. He's, uh, even before the war began, he was prosecuting and imprisoning his political opponents. Uh, since the war began, of course, he's outlawed, uh, and banned, uh, at least 11 uh, opposition political parties. And then all of the main opposition networks, he's converted 
to uh, you know force them by law to uh, uh, broadcast uh, Ukrainian government propaganda 24/7. So it's as if uh, you know Trump won the election and he immediately threw uh, Obama and Hillary into prison and then forced CNN and uh, MSNBC to broadcast uh, Fox News um, you know continuously. Yeah, and yeah. no one seems to care. No, you know, it, he's he's the new Churchill, and of course Churchill. That's a whole other subject because Churchill was one of the greatest war criminals uh, in World War II, uh, responsible for the deaths of hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of innocents. But that's not what they <laughs> mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, um, no, it is incredible. It's the you know the narrative building is that on the other side. Obviously, if he's doing that to them, he must be, or else why would he be doing it to them? And they're obviously bad guys, or they wouldn't be against him since he's so great, and everybody knows that. And there's a complete little package of thought without having to really know anything at all. Except yep. this is whose side we're on, you know? So then that way, like, thank goodness he shut down all that pro-Russian media in his country, or, you know, whatever frame. He just, uh, as they should say when they say it, beg the question, presume the conclusion. That, of course, whoever he's shutting down deserves yeah. to be shut down. Um, it's really so Soviet-esque. I mean, Zelensky really is a creature of the Soviet Union. Um, you know, he, he has, of course, Ukraine has, has their own secret service that is modeled after the KGB. And, uh, you know, it's just really a Soviet tradition to, to uh, jail, prosecute, and assassinate your political opponents and ban opposition parties. Um, so... You know, we're not. The bottom line is, is as Tulsi Gabbard has stated, um, Ukraine is not a democracy. You know, it's technically it's in a liberal democracy, but really it's uh, an autocracy that I, I'd even call a, you know, kind of a stealth dictatorship. Mm -hmm. and, I read a funny uh, thing that said, that, "Listen, you know, the real difference is here is their billionaires only kind of back one small group of politicians <laughs> instead of like in America where the billionaires give money to all the different politicians and spread it out and they all do and kind of keep it more stable that way. This leads to a lot more infighting. <laughs> they need to all figure out how to bribe all the politicians a certain percent and sh learn to share them, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> And uh, that brings to mind, uh, you know, of course, Hunter Biden and the, the Biden uh, family's uh, corrupt connect, you know, business ties with Ukraine that, that uh, arguably may have started this whole mess in the first place. I mean, sure. uh, it's certainly an open question is if, if he had not have had profited by uh, by millions of dollars, uh, you know, paid to Hunter, of which, uh, you know, we know Biden typically gets a 10 percent cut or even 50 percent based based on some stories uh, in Hunter. Biden's uh, uh, laptop, um, you know, it's an open question as to whether he would not have at least said that uh, Ukraine would not join NATO and thus uh, uh, for, would never join NATO and for, thus forestalling the Russian invasion in the first place. Well, and remember uh, why that company Burisma hired Hunter. They hired Hunter because they were in tight with the government that Biden had overthrown. He had, you know, as they say, held the Ukraine brief they're right. in the vice president's office under Obama. And when they overthrew the government in 2014, this company, which was led by this guy, this guy Kolomoisky, was one of the major owners of it, um, said, oh, no, I got to get in good with the new regime so that they don't stick the screws to me, you know? And then, yeah. like I say about the, 
the oligarchs don't own enough politicians in kind together, you know, the way they do it there. Very unstable. So that was why they said, and then what they do, they hire Yatsenyuk's brother. No, they hired Vice President Biden's son to come and sit on their board to be their insurance policy. And Kofor yeah. Black, I think, was on there, too, the former CIA officer. Everybody always, like, leaves him out. Um, but uh, I'm right about that, right? You are. Yeah, yeah th okay. that actually started um, immediately following the uh, the CIA-backed coup of, uh, of the former uh, pro-Russian president. Yeah. Um, is that's when it, it's, you know, all the uh, business contacts began. And they actually, I mean, the kind of language they used was was pretty amazing. Um, just talking about uh, about Ukraine and, and just transforming it um, along the lines we've seen today. But, uh, you know, I would love for, for it to be true that we're fighting for democracy in Ukraine. I still wouldn't support it. Um, you know, I obviously I condemn in uh, in no uncertain terms uh, the uh, illegal aggression Russian aggression against Ukraine. I want nothing but the best for the Russian or the Ukrainian people and the Russian people, by the way, uh, who are, are not our enemies. Uh, but, but I think uh, another important point I wanted to make uh, before we go is that, you know, Russia is only our enemy because our, our policies and our leaders have made it so. Uh, Russia, you know, uh, Gorbachev actually um, told, um, you know, uh, Secretary of State Baker that he wanted uh, the Soviet Union to join NATO. In 1990, Yeltsin uh, brought up the same thing in 91, and then uh, Putin himself, I think it was in 2002, um, you know, talked about uh, Russia joining NATO and, and said all he wanted was an invitation. He wasn't going to just beg to join NATO. He wanted a formal invitation to Russia. And, you know, in, in a perfect world, you know, Russia either, I mean, a perfect world, NATO would be abolished. It's something I've, I've called for uh, back in 2019. I think Trump was right on that. Um but uh, the second best option would be for uh, for uh, Russia and Ukraine to join NATO simultaneously. And then, you know, for all this, uh, that would uh, pretty much end the Russian threat. It would break up the alliance between Russia and China and would really go far, I think, to advance uh, not only European security, but U.S. national security as well. Yeah. I want to give you a chance to reiterate what you mentioned there, too, as you do say in the article uh, where you say that uh, you strongly support Ukraine's right to defend itself, and you even say that you support America sending humanitarian-type assistance and all that kind of thing. So I know that people, as you know, as sort of the basis of this whole conversation, never mind the smears and blacklists, people right. just kind of presume if you're explaining another side of the story, that you have some loyalty to it. And here, you know, obviously used to work at the Pentagon and <clears throat> we're speaking from an American national interest kind of point of view here. But even beyond that, in the actual fight itself, you claim your sympathy with the Ukrainian side, not with the Russian side. You're just yeah. being honest about what the damn problem is here. That's all. Exactly. And no more, no, no matter how much uh, the Ukrainian government tries to demonize me or if they were to target me for assassination, uh, my my position wouldn't change. I still support um, you know Ukrainian national independence. I want to, to negotiate the best deal we possibly can for for Ukraine to preserve as much of their territory as possible. Um, it's not you know it's not about some kind of bias. My only bias, like uh, Senator Rand Paul, is, is to support what's best for the national security of, of uh, the United States of America. And and that doesn't mean all these um, endless and unnecessary wars. 
uh, you know, which we we saw so much of in the 20th century and since. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you also say here, uh, when I was paraphrasing, you know, I left out the part where you say here from Russia's continuing illegal war of aggression, which is an important point that, um, you know, should not be lost on anyone here. And I agree with you that America absolutely put them up to this or, you know, pushed them into this corner. But, you know, I think a fair analogy would be if somebody's poking you in the chest, you might have the right to knock their block off. But that doesn't mean you definitely should, you know, maybe. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I think that they had other options here. And but I want to point out, as uh, Joe Serencioni did such a great job of explaining that Putin was deliberately invoking American exceptions to the law in his declaration of war in February, where he essentially paraphrased Bill Clinton over Kosovo, Bush over Iraq War II, and Obama over Libya by saying, you know, in Obama's case, we have to protect this ethnic minority that's being persecuted. In Bush's case, we have to preempt these weapons of mass destruction. And in Obama's case, the responsibility to protect Again, you know, this civilian population that's being massacred, a genocide, he claimed. And yeah. then that was enough. But it, he was obviously being cheeky. For God's sake, he was, you know, <laughs> essentially mocking America and saying, this is what you guys say when you break the law and launch a war. So that's what I say, too. And I don't yeah. know if any of the Americans even noticed other than critics, but I don't think anybody in the war party even saw the irony in it at all. Yeah, I noticed uh, right away he, he's, he's used the exact same words as President uh, George W. Bush when he said, uh, you know, we're, we're sending uh, you know, our military to enforce the peace. How do you start a war? You know, how is enforcing the peace, um, you know, starting a war? There's, it's very Orwellian. Yep. And, of course, we found out that the, the weapons of mass destruction, you know, didn't technically exist. But the, the, the very fact, you know, he said that uh, there were weapons of mass destruction being uh, created with U.S. assistance. And we found, you know, months, mere month, weeks later, um, you know, the U.S. government had admitted the existence of 26 uh, U.S. funded bio labs in Ukraine. So, yeah. Although I don't think they're really weapons labs. I don't know. I need to learn more about that. I know actually Dave DeCamp at Antiwar.com has done all the best work on that. And I should shut up until I've read it all very carefully. But I do know that, you know, Zelensky had said, well, Maybe we'll just get out of the Budapest, uh, you know, stop abiding by our promises in the Budapest memorandum. In other words, maybe we'll start making nukes, which, of course, they have no capability of doing in any reasonable amount of time before they get invaded or anything like that anyway. So why did he even say that other than to give Putin a pretext to attack, you know? Yeah. And, and this, the, the crazy thing is, um, you know, when Putin said that, and not only was it reminiscent of Bush, but um, the very fact that it was an illegal war of aggression uh, was very reminiscent of, of our the U.S. invasion of Iraq in 2003, which really had no just no rational justification of all at all. Yep. You know, mm -hmm. Saddam hadn't committed any new international aggression. He destroyed uh, all of his uh, weapons of mass destruction under, you know, uh, pre-U.N. mandates. So um, both wars, I think, are equal, were equally um, unjustifiable. And I think, as you pointed out on, on this show, uh, the war in, in Iraq actually has killed far more people uh, than the war in Ukraine has thus far. Yeah, right. So and in fact, George Bush himself couldn't help but notice the similarity 
Um, <laughs> somebody, I, I still can't figure out who decided to put him out there to criticize another country for starting a war, but he just couldn't do it without implicating himself. And yeah. in fact, he even says, after he noticed, oops, I said Iraq, and then he says, Iraq too, which, hey, he wasn't, he didn't mean Putin also is guilty for that. He meant that's also an illegal aggressive war too. And yeah, so he was admitting it right there. You know, that was as close as you could get to a confession in open court kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, to that, that war crime. All right. Yep. And then I, everybody I just actually... laughed and they were like, ah, oh, we forgive you, George. It's okay. <laughs> and, and he laughed and then it was over. <laughs> Yeah, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall in that room because uh, I wonder. I think a lot of them were uh, were kind of surprised, uh, you know, wondering if he was gonna, uh, you know, realizing the irony, I guess, in yeah. that in that statement. But uh, you know, I I um, oppose strongly oppose the Iraq War as well. I've been very consistent. You know, I don't oppose all wars. I, I certainly think some were justified. Um, I think World War One, especially, we we could have stayed out. Uh, World War Two, we could have stayed out if. If uh, FDR just hadn't provoked the Japanese to to attack, um, but uh, you know, I think it's it's really essential, especially now in Taiwan. And I know we probably don't have time to get into the Taiwan crisis, but it's really essential we we avoid a great power nuclear superpower war, uh, which which no one you know certainly we have no hope of winning. Yeah, you know, uh, we really are in trouble. We got essentially this massive imperial ship, but it doesn't seem like anybody's driving. I mean, maybe like Sullivan and Blinken and Austin together are the, we're going to read a Woodward book later that says these three guys more or less were sort of in charge, but it sort of seems like nobody's in charge. And it seems like to turn the thing around, to call any kind of screeching halt, We'd have to rewind time and go back and hire Ron Paul in 2008 or something. I mean, who's going to do it now? Gavin Newsom or, <laughs> or Ron DeSantis, who's going to move America's capital to Jerusalem? I mean, yeah. man, well, we're really screwed. <laughs> well, if only we could have Tulsi Gabbard as the Democrat presidential nominee. That, uh, and, you know, if we had uh, had an America first, uh, you know, kind of anti-war candidate like Rand Paul on one side and Tulsi Gabbard on the other, then we'd have uh, two two Ukrainian information terrorists running and, and it would be uh, a win-win for, for peace and freedom worldwide. Wouldn't that be amazing to have a couple of candidates who are eh, not too bad and that you could actually like settle for and and then they run against each other in a real like in their in their war of words, in their in their uh, campaigns they're really trying to outdo each other for who's better instead of who's worse on everything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's it, instead of being the, uh, you know, the least of the, of the two evils, uh, we could have the, the least of the two, two goods, you know, I, or the best of the two honest. goods, even the best of the two settle goods. for the least of the, the two yeah. goods and it'd be all right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, uh, we can fantasize all day. We'll probably not ever see anything like that in my lifetime, but, um, it would be cool. And you know what? Uh, hey, if people can get their head together, it's obviously the right thing to do. Um, you know, if the establishment says never Tulsi, eh, maybe Democrats should listen to her. You know, it's possible. Yeah, they absolutely should. And, and diplomacy does not equal appeasement. We hear that from the neocons like uh, Lindsey Graham, you know, criticizing Biden for being 
too much of an appeaser, too too weak on on China or Russia. I mean, it's yeah. it's ridiculous. Well, Hillary um, called Gabbard a traitor while she's currently serving National Guard major on, and she was like even on an overseas deployment and had to come home before she could respond. Like, geez, somebody tell yeah. the uh, you know what is it, the NCIS or whatever, not the that's the wrong service. You know what I mean? Yeah, she's an Iraq War hero, a, a serving uh, lieutenant colonel in the in the reserves. Um, there's no way, you know, she could possibly be accused of being anything other than a, a true America first patriot. Yeah, that's amazing. And and they got away with that, too. Um, yeah. You know, that Sorry. that hurt. It, it, that did not hurt the accusers. That hurt the accused. Uh, when uh, Hillary Clinton, of all people, made that claim. It's just amazing to think that that could stick in anyone's head. Like, well, geez, if Hillary Clinton says so, it probably is right. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. the one consolation we have on that front is that uh, if she hadn't voted for the Iraq war, she would have uh, defeated Obama and become, became for the, the presidential nomination of the Democrat Party and would have been elected president in 2008. So and then we'd all be dead by now. So <laughs> and, and it would have passed without her because Carrie and Daschle and then we're going to, you know, make sure anyway. So. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Um, all right. Well, we'd all be better off. If she was never born, but. It is what it is. Um, all right, everybody. That's David Pine. Find him again at dpine.substack.com and at the National Interest. He's got a really good one here, how Biden can end the war in Ukraine. And uh, check out his response to the Ukrainian government decision to include him on a list of 28 high-profile Americans accused of promoting Russian propaganda narratives. Thank you again, David. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, APSradio.com, Antiwar.com, ScottHorton.org, and LibertarianInstitute.org.